Hey guys, you're listening to an incredible message from Pastor Brett called Remember the Rocks, right here on the Engage Network. We're going to read the first five verses of Psalm 103. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Okay, three people are with me, so let's go. Let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart. I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. I love this. May I never forget the good things he does for me. How easy it is to forget. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. It's always easy to forget the good things. It's easy. Uh, I was driving the other day. Uh, coming home from Calgary, actually, and I just had this thought as I was turning on to the Anthony Hende. I'm like, who on earth is Anthony Hende? <laughs> like, did you ever, you ever think about like, why do we name things things? Like, like who's William Horlack and why does he get a park? You know, like why is that a thing? Why do we name in Edmonton? Why is there a Rundle Park? I don't know who Rundle is, but I don't like his park. You know, it's like. It's who are these people? It's like they, they're obviously like notable figures. I Googled Hende, and apparently, you know, he discovered the place. So I guess that's significant. But I'm like, well, you know, it's so quick that we just forget some of those stories. And we throw these names up in these places. And I'm like, okay, it's cool that I guess we'll remember you forever. But is anyone actually remembering you forever if we don't know what you did? We, so we just, we just threw a name up. There's these two little kids that were playing in a park down by a river. And not in a van down by a river. There's playing <laughs> in a park down by the river. Waterfront park, okay. Come on, guys. It's 11 o'clock on a Sunday. Uh, they're playing, and, and their grandpa's with them, sitting on a bench, doing what grandpas do, sitting on a bench. And they're, the kids are just playing around, and they see this giant stack of rocks stacked up beside a river. And they start counting, like, one, two, three. Four, five, and there's 12 giant stones stacked up. And the kid's are like, hey, Grandpa, what are these rocks here for? He's like, ah, let me tell you about the rocks. In Joshua chapter 4, the people crossed the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. Then they camped at Gilgal just east of Jericho. It was there at Gilgal that, uh, that Joshua piled up 12 stones taken from the Jordan River. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. See, these 12 stones came right from the middle of a river. See, when we might be familiar with this, if you've watched Prince of Egypt Disney movies or Ten Commandments or whatever, uh, you, you're familiar with the story of Moses slamming down his big uh, stick and waters parting and people walking through and they made it their way out of Egypt, out of slavery, into this desert area and they moved across and the waters came crashing down and it, and it erased all of the Egyptians. We're like, that's such a cool Bible miracle moment. The question is, did you know that it happened again? That it didn't just happen once? 
See, a lot of times we read things in the Bible like, oh, that was cool that that happened. You're like, did you know that that actually happened again? And it happened a generation later. After 40 years, the Israelites made it through the Red Sea into the desert, 40 years wandering the desert. They had to take 40 years, you see, for generations, for hundreds of years, they lived in Egypt and they lived as slaves in Egypt. So it took them 40 years to figure out what it looked like, what it felt like, what it smelt like to live free. Because after you've been a slave for hundreds of years, I can tell you, it's a different thing to live free. And they made some bad choices and they made some good choices, but no matter what, that God was always faithful to them. It says that he provided food for them every day. So yeah, they were ready to leave that area and move into the promised land because he provided the same meal every day. And so for some of us, that provides comfort. You're like, what? I eat the same ham sandwich for lunch every day. What's the problem? <laughs> for others of us, like a little bit more variety in our schedules. Their clothes, it says their clothes never wore out for 40 years. Could you imagine the same outfit for 40 years? I'm like, wow, it just takes all my decision-making process right out of it. I kinda, I'm kind of into it. All right, Dad. Uh, He also, that's why he kept them on a controlled diet, so they fit all their clothes for 40 years. <laughs> but they wandered around for 40 years, and a generation passed away because they were a generation known for doubting God the entire way. But now a new generation came some 40 years later, and God leads them to the promised land. They're just about there. And just before they arrive at the promised land, just before they make it, they run into a river. And they're like, come on, God. We've been wandering 40 years. You're like, tomorrow we're going to the promised land. What do we do? We roll up, and there's a river at high tide. I didn't know that rivers had high tide, but it was high season in the river, and the banks are overflowing. And it's like, God, like, the promised land is right there. How much longer do I have to wait? And he's like, oh, you don't have to wait. You're like, well, we're going to do a miracle. He's like, yeah, watch me. Because that's just what God does. Have you ever had that moment where it just feels like you're coming out of a rough season in your life? It's just like it's like it's just been a brutal season. In some ways, it feels like a wandering kind of season. And you're walking and you're like you just feel like it's the end of it. And everything's getting brighter and you got like a new opportunity and new things and things are just about to happen. And there's just that thing that shows up just at the very last minute. And you're like, come on. Why is that happening to me? Well, I want to help us today begin to understand the pro process that leads us to the promise. And I'm hoping that we can see and understand some of those challenges in a brand new way. You see, when the Israelites got to that riverbank, Joshua, who is now leading them, was not afraid. <laughs> he was not afraid of the river. Because God had something in mind. You see, he had done it once. He had already led his people through the Red Sea, and that was a sea, a river, that's nothing. But he was very intentional and very specific that they had to cross this river to make it into the promised land. Why? Because 40 years ago when he did it the first time, some of these people that were standing at this river bank were not alive yet. They didn't know that God had that ability. They knew that they heard the stories and they heard the legends. But, you know, sometimes you hear the stories and you hear the legends and you hear it from your parents and from your grandparents. And you just kind of roll your eyes. You're like, all right, I'm sure that's how it happened. 
You know, because, like, it just gets passed on, and you're like, yeah, okay, I'm sure you're like, yes, you walked uphill both ways of school. It was snowing and 14 feet of snow, and you couldn't even see the cars. <laughs> so amazing. They're like, yeah, sure, the, the river just stopped. The water just stopped, and you just walked across it. Sure, those are things of legend. Yeah, I'm sure you're exaggerating a little bit. No, no, no. God wanted his people to know that if he did it once, he could do it again, and the way that he would lead them out of Egypt was the way he was going to lead them into the, the promised land so that a new generation could taste and see that God was good. Because sometimes we need to experience things for ourselves. You see, there's a whole generation of us who have heard stories about what God's done. We've heard stories about the miraculous. We've heard story after story after story. And if we're being honest, you've at times rolled your eyes like, okay, I'm sure that's exactly how it happened. But God wants to do something new in a new way, in a new season. But one of the ways that he does something new is by doing the same thing again in a slightly different way. So you might be coming into this next season of opportunity. You feel like you're moving into your promise, but there's something in your way. And God's using that thing to remind you that if he did it once, he could do it again. That he doesn't want you to walk into this new season thinking that this is all about you on your ability, with your skills, with your talents. No, 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 no. He's going to make a way where there is no way. In fact, he would be called the way maker so that there's no doubt in your mind that you can trust him when you get into the place of promise. Because sometimes, you know, our, we're, we're fickle, right? Human beings are fickle. And so when God does something for like the first week, you're like, man, God's good. He did this thing. He's awesome. He did this. I, got, I had no, like, there's no prospects for a job. And I, I just, like, I just stumbled on this website. And then, like, I didn't even think that I was going to get it. And then I started praying. And then all of a sudden, like, they gave me a call back. And, you know, and you tell the story, like, man, and, and then I didn't know what the words were saying. It came to my mind. I think it's totally God. That's week one. By week three, you're like, yeah, well, I just applied online. I just crushed the interview. <laughs> like, nailed it. Hold on, week one, you're like, you were bumbling around and words popped into your mind that you would only attribute to the grace and power of God. Week three, you nailed it, bro. No, no, that's the fickleness of the human heart that says God does something, I'm going to take credit. God does something, he says something, he reaches somebody, he makes a way where there is no way, and I'm going to take credit. So to combat that, as the riverbed was dry and the Israelites were crossing, God spoke to Joshua and he said, listen, send a representative from each tribe, from the tribe of Israel. I want them to go right into the middle of the river. And when they get to the middle of the river, I want them to pick up a giant rock. And I want you to bring it and pile it up on the side of the riverbed. Like, All right. So they grab them and they make this weird structure. And it kind of looks like the talus balls in Edmonton, you know, when you're going by Fort Edmonton Park. <laughs> Next time you drive by, you're like, what is that for? It's to remind you of the goodness of God. So just be thankful for it. So they, 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 it's by the river. They, tax dollars at work. They don't even know. It's just for the glory of God. So the Israelites took these rocks from the middle of the river because they couldn't get it again by natural means. It was too deep. It was too, too much to get those rocks out. It only was, it was only a result of the miracle. So that every time they came around to that place, They'd be reminded, God did that. I can take credit. I can decide I was the one. Or we can rejoice and we can celebrate that God made a way where there was no way.
That's why we remember the rocks. Turn to somebody and say, remember the rocks. All right, that was very subdued of you. In low, sultry tones, remember the rocks. She's not that into you, bro. Um, <laughs> see, this is, this is, again, a part of the human condition is that we do not document, document, document the things that God does in our life. And then over time, we take credit for the things that he does. So we can make our own rock-like structure by getting our phone out or a piece of paper or a journal, whatever it is that you write on. And when God does something, we actually just make a note of it. We just write it down. Why do we do that? We do that for a couple of reasons. First thing is it keeps us honest. Keeps us honest. Because we, when we start taking credit for something and we start looking back, we go, oh, yeah, no, that's, that's right. God, God did that. Second thing it does is when we get discouraged, when we think that God's left us, when he's abandoned us, that he's left us alone to our own devices, that he never does anything for us, when we, we just get so discouraged that we forget all the good things that he's done, we actually have a written record or a recorded record of the good things that he has done for us so that when our soul starts getting downtrodden or we start getting depressed by things, we go, hold on. God did this, and he did this, and he did this, and if he did that once, he can do it again because he's in the business of making a way where there is no way. We can remind ourselves of the good things that God does. I was reflecting this week on how we got this building, the building that we're in right now. And a few of us will remember this time. I think probably only the Weldons and Phil and us. I don't know if there's anyone else that was here back in those days because there really wasn't many of us. Um, <laughs> we, we were in meeting in the movie theater. Not that one. Everyone thinks we're Global Connections. We're not. So if you came here, if you're trying to go there, you're in the wrong place. Um, <laughs> but welcome. Yes, welcome home. Welcome home. Uh, so we were meeting in the movie theater over here behind Save on Foods, which is now Landmark, got bought out three different times. And Landmark bought it, and they let us know with about six weeks left on our lease that they weren't going to be renewing our lease. So we go into a mild panic, uh, trying to find a new place for us to go. And so we find this warehouse in, on South Ave uh, in the industrial area, and that leads to my first epic battle with the city of Spruce Grove, where we go back and fight back and forth and we're fighting and I'm trying to get land and territory in, in the industrial area for our church. And if I'm being honest, looking back on it, I'm so thankful we didn't end up there. So thankful because it kind of sucked. <laughs> but it was like what was in front of us. It was what we had. It was what was in our ability. And we did everything we could to, to find something and, and to, to be good stewards. And, 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 and just before we were about to file paperwork, this all happens over Christmas break, like literally the desperateness of the situation, or the I should say desperation, of the situation was that the Sunday before Christmas, we literally had no place to meet as a church. So, of course, we don't tell anybody that. We just say, we're all going to go to Phil's house, to his acreage, and we're going to go have uh, a Christmas brunch, because at that time everyone could fit in Phil's house. Uh, big house. So we all go to Phil's house, and we all 
cram in there and people are like, this is amazing. Let's have waffles every Sunday. This is fantastic. You're like, well, we might be having waffles every Sunday if we don't get a building. Uh, but I'm not going to tell you that yet because I don't know. I think God's up to something. And I was about to, just the first day of the new year that the City of Spruce Grove, was off, uh, City of Spruce Grove offices were open, I was about to walk in there and file some paperwork on that, on that warehouse when I got a phone call on a Friday that says, can I meet you on Sunday? I said, sure. And I went and I met a pastor, a pastor of a church called Gateway City Church, which does not exist anymore because we now occupy it. And they said, listen, our season is done as a church. We're moving on. The church is, has, is folding. But we want to know if you want to take over the building, if you want to take over all of its property and assets, and take over its charitable status because we didn't have that yet. And we just renovated the building. There's a little bit of debt on that, but it was literally pennies on the dollar for what it would have cost to renovate something. And we just saved up all this money to renovate a building. So at just the right time, the Friday before the Monday morning, I get a phone call, and everything changes. I said, how long do you need? You need four or five months to wrap it up. They're like, do you want the keys today? I'm like, no, I don't want the keys today. I need one more week. We just had church. I need one more week to tell people where to go to church. And this building, I mean, I can tell you, it did not look like this. Did not feel like this. The back classrooms had junk piled higher than me that we had to gut and empty out all of it. I mean, you guys remember because the Weldons hauled out most of it. Uh, we used all the big, strong sons and everything. Uh, Mike, you know, got a workout that day. And we just filled up these dumpsters with so much junk and clutter and garbage and we went to work we painted and teams just did amazing things to evolve it into what it is today and now you know we're maximizing it with three services on a Sunday morning and it's busy all throughout the week and, and it's great but it's time for a new season right because good thing all good things do come to an end and this has been good but God's got something great for us and so on June 23rd, we gathered at Horizon Stage, and, and I want to thank many of you who began to invest and give into the next season, the next chapter of our church. We said, hey, there's an opportunity for us to make a change. And I'm here to tell you today that that building that we've been talking about, that land deal has fallen through. We do not have it. It does not exist anymore. And I think a lot of us might be thinking, oh, that city of Spruce Grove, not the city's fault. There's a different tenant that came in. It changed the risk assessment for us because we're in the midst of the zoning. And so the city can't pass it because it wouldn't be safe, which is okay. We don't want to be somewhere where it's not safe for us to be. And it would have caused our insurance to go to like a million dollars crazy. And so we're at this situation where we're like, our lease is ending here. And we don't have that new building that we we're going to start construction on in a month. So what's next? <laughs> Not a bad idea. <laughs> Though I don't think Vanessa's in agreement this time. We are going to 17 services on a weekend at Phil's house. Now, we're going to follow Jesus one step at a time because here's what I've learned is that month, <laughs> way back five years ago, that month, I didn't sleep like for 35 days straight because I'm like, God, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? Can I tell you right now, I'm sleeping like a baby because I know if he did it once, he can do it again. And if he brought us here in a miraculous way, he's going to take us to the next season in a miraculous way. Yeah, you come on. So we don't have to be afraid. 
We don't have to be nervous. What we, what we know is that actually now that the city's changed their tune, they actually are providing us with a list of all the places in the city that we could go. They're like, hey, we're going to give you a list, and we're going to keep your file open. We're going to save you four weeks of processing time on your next permit. We're going to just keep this open. We're going to give you a list of places where you could go that's already going to work for you, and uh, we're going to expedite this process so that when we find the right thing at the right time that opens up, that we'll be able to move on it. And because we've got the resources ready to go, and we won't most likely won't have to do a complete raw rebuild, the dollars that we already have will go three times as far as they would have when we had to build something out of nothing. So I want to just tell you that, yes, what, what we could do, what our abilities came up with, have now failed. But in the midst of our weakness, God is strong. My dad and I were talking about this, and he was reminding me of this whole story. And I think part of what happens in our lives is when we're about to move into the next season of change, there is a responsibility on us as good stewards of the things that God's given us to take a step of faith. But sometimes what's required is we, we, just, we take a step of faith into an area, and we take a big step forward. And we move out of our comfort place and we move into this vulnerable place of trust and we take a step here. And it's not always this place that moves you into your promise. It's the fact that you've stepped out of the comfortable place, that you've stepped into a place of trust and vulnerability that now opens up all these opportunities that are right over here that you didn't know. But sometimes you just need to get out of the comfortable place so you can see from a new vantage point and see from a new horizon. But what happens sometimes is when we find ourselves in these moments and things seem shaky and it doesn't seem like we know what to do and we feel like we're losing control. Listen, you are losing control. We are losing control. We have no control. But we do have a plan one step at a time. But also, don't forget we have a stony plain location that we can all go meet in. Don't worry about that. You know, just miraculously at just the right time, we also have a West Edmonton location that we could also meet in if we need to. So we don't have to be nervous. God's got something for Spruce Grove. We're not withdrawing. We're not pulling away. We're not moving out. God's just repositioning us for this next chapter. But what we have to do now, and now I'm going to shift it not just from the church, but from our personal life. When we find ourselves here in a vulnerable place, a vulnerable position, and the promise is just right there, but we can't grab it and we can't make it happen, you have to do something. You have to address your soul. See, the soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And can I tell you, your soul is a liar. I mean, the devil's a liar, but so is your soul. Because we don't go off of the leadings of our heart, our feelings, our emotions. We're led by the voice of God. And sometimes where God is leading us and how he's leading us are contradictory to our emotions. So this is what we do. Psalm 103 is going to help us out. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. Thank God. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Hold it right there. Bless, just go back, sorry. Bless the Lord, O my soul. I need to speak to my soul because, oh, my soul is a jerk. <laughs> my soul's like, you, can, you need to plan, you need to, you need to do, you need to do, you need to, you need to make it happen. It's like, no, I don't need to make it happen. I'm going to stop being depressed. I'm going to stop trying to, to be a strategist and trying to fix all the things. And I'm going to put my hope and faith in Jesus. And I'm going to say, bless the Lord that if he led me here and if he did it once, then he can do it again. I'm going to remember the rocks. I'm going to remember what he's done. I'm going to stand on his promise and say, there's something out there for me. And I'm not just talking about the building. I'm talking about your life. When you're at this crossroads, what do I do? You tell your soul, bless the Lord, soul. Come on, God is worthy of praise. And you're like, I don't feel like praising because I feel like I'm stuck. 
Can I tell you, sometimes when you, <laughs> sometimes when you need a breakthrough, you got to break stuff. And you got to break that attitude in you that says, woe is me. God doesn't do anything for me. And we need to remember what he's done. The second verse says, bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Forget not the things that he's done. In the New Living Translation, it says this. It says, may I never forget the good things he does for me. We read that off the start. May I never forget the good things he does for me. That's why we write it down. That's why we make notes so we can remind ourselves of the goodness of God in a situation that seems like it's dark and it's gloomy and that we have to make it happen. Does anyone play uh, Madden on Xbox or PS4? Okay, three people. This, this analogy will fail, but thank you for coming along with us. For the three of us, we're going to enjoy it. So, like, here's the thing. I'm not, like, super great. Like, I don't know anything about football in terms of, like, I like to watch it. But, like, when I look at, like, the schematic of a play, I don't get the X's and the O's and the arrows. Like, I kind of get it, but I really, like, don't fully get it. But what I like about playing video game sports is I get to be the general manager. I get to be the control. I get to be the, the coach. I get to call the plays. I get to be the quarterback. Then when I catch it, I get to be the receiver or the running back. I get to be all the things because, in other words, I'm a control freak. <laughs> and so are you. We're all control freaks over our lives because what we want to do is we want to be every player in every position at all times, and we want to call the play and run the play and do the things. But the great thing about football in real life is that if you're a lineman and if you're standing on the line, you have one job. <laughs> you can't come through me. That's it. That's your job. You're not the quarterback. You don't have to worry about running. You don't have to worry about catching. You don't worry about calling the play. You don't even worry about staying fit. Your job is literally, <laughs> you can't come through me. You can't come through me. See, I think we need to have a lineman's perspective on life. My job is to stay right here and do my one thing that I'm supposed to do and follow Jesus one step at a time. And if he says that my next play is to take one step forward, then I'm going to take one step forward. I'm not going to worry about the call in the next play. I'm not going to worry about the runs of plays. I'm not going to worry about the defense. I'm not going to worry about a trade or a transaction. I'm going to worry about doing my one thing. Stop trying to control every single area of your life when Jesus is calling you to trust him with every single area of your life. That'll preach somebody. Nobody likes it, but you should clap probably. <laughs> this is what I love in Psalm chapter 95. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. Get this. We, as in me and you, are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. And I love this last line. If only you would listen to his voice today. If only you would listen to his voice today. I'm going to get the band up here because I'll preach for another two hours. In the midst of what looks like the promise that is just out of reach, we remind ourselves. Hebrews 10, 12, 23 says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. John 14, 1 says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust in Jesus. 
Isaiah 41.10, we just hold on to these things. It says, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. The Apostle Paul closing out a prayer in Ephesians 3.20 says it like this. Now all glory to God because we give glory to God in the midst of the most difficult situations. All glory to God who is able because only God is able. Through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. You know what this leads me to to believe is that when I find myself in a situation where I don't know what to ask or think anymore, I put myself in a position for the God who is able to work inside of me and work around me and work through me to bleed me into the next season of my life. He says he's going to do more than I could even think or imagine. Another translation says that God will do more than I could ask, hope, imagine, or dream through his power. So when I find myself at the end of myself, I find myself in weakness. I'm found in the presence of Jesus, who when I'm weak, he is strong who is able to do infinitely more than I could ever ask, hope, imagine, or dream. So when I have nothing left to dream or ask, he is able. He is able. He is able. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. Why don't we stand?